0: Welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast, brought to you in conjunction with my YouTube channel, Biblically Correct. Before we get started, let me encourage you to like and subscribe or follow this channel so that you can learn about future episodes. Thank you. Today, we are going to pick up the story of the people of Israel as recorded in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. Now, what we talked about last time was the first five books, the first five books of the Old Testament, and that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, in those five books, we see that God has chosen a special people for himself, and the name of that people is the people of, you guessed it, Israel. That's right, the seed of Abraham, specifically through the line of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. The people of Israel ended up being enslaved in Egypt. Eventually, God delivered them from Egypt through a man named Moses. And in the wilderness, God, through Moses, restores his covenant, or specifically solidifies his covenant in something we call the Mosaic Covenant. Now, remember, a covenant in its simplest form is really an agreement between two individuals and which is ensured by their God. In this particular case, it is an agreement between the nation of Israel and their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, what we talked about was how important this covenant, this agreement, and the role that Israel had is when we look at the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament if you don't get this reality that the people of Israel or the Jewish people see themselves as God's chosen people, the seed of Abraham. And that frames the way they think about themselves. But another thing that frames the way they think about themselves is not just that they are God's chosen people, God's covenant people, but that they historically broke that covenant. And that's what picks up in our story today. So we have the people in the wilderness, Moses dies. In fact, the Bible tells us that God buries Moses, that God takes care of burying Moses. Moses dies, and then his protege, Joshua, picks up. Now, Joshua is going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. First place they end up going after they cross over the Jordan River is Jericho. Most of us know this story, this important story of circling the walls of Jericho and then God bringing those walls down. After that, after that very important incident um, with Jericho, we see a couple other things. We see some missteps by the Israelites, and we see continued the further conquest of Israel the nation, the territory that we know of as Israel, would have been known as Canaan at the time. So they conquer Canaan. They take this territory. But an important thing for you to understand is that during the lifetime of Joshua, they do not conquer all of Canaan. During the lifetime of Joshua, they actually only conquer a portion of this territory. That's important to remember because that's going to come back up later after Joshua's death. Now, before Joshua dies, the last thing he says to the people of Israel is, do not turn your back on your God. He gives this impassioned speech where he tells the people, hey, God delivered you out of Egypt. God delivered you from slavery, but you are going to have the temptation to turn your back on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and instead to turn towards false gods, all of these false idols who are the gods of Egypt and the gods of the Canaanites where you're going. So the last appeal that he has to them is keep the covenant. Keep the covenant because you have a God who has taken care of you and will continue to take care of you, but do not mess it up by turning to false gods. Now, after Joshua dies, what we see happen is we get to the book of Judges and we see the people do not follow Joshua's instructions. More specifically, we see a generation that raises up that does not really remember and does not really follow the things laid down before them. So when this generation raises up and they start to do what's right in their own eyes instead of following God. And what happens is as they start to worship these false gods and worship the gods of the land, what ends up happening is God, the God of Israel, actually allows them to be oppressed by the peoples of the the land, by the Canaanites and by the Philistines. So what happens in this period, known as the the period of the Judges, is that as the people of the land, uh, the Canaanites and the Philistines, begin to oppress the people of Israel, The people of Israel cry out to God and say, God, we know we were wrong. We repent. And then God has mercy on his covenant people for their repentance. Then he sends a judge. Now, a judge is not like a legal sense of what we think of. Instead, a judge is more like a hero or more like a representative of God who comes, usually as a military commander of sorts, to come and lead the people of Israel to fight against the, the people who are oppressing them. So you have a period of several hundred years where Israel exists in this state, where they do not have a king. Instead, God is their king, and God sends judges to act as his representatives to deliver the people from those who are oppressing them. Now, this period of the judges is going to end when the people demand that God gives them a king. Now, you can see this in 1 and 2 Samuel is where you really start to see this period of transition, where we transition from the period of the judges to the period of the kings. Now, the people, when they demand that God gives them a king, they actually say something very interesting. They say, we want a king like the nations. See, Everyone else around Israel had their own personal king, human king. But Israel specifically had God as king. Who was Israel's king? The God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh. That is their king. But what happens is the people... Instead of accepting God's kingship, they demand that God give them a human king. Why? Again, because they want to be like the nations, which is the whole problem that they have suffered from from the beginning, this desire to be like the people around them, the peoples around them. So God gives in to their demands. God gives them a king. But he warns them that there will be consequences. And there are absolutely consequences. Their first king is a guy named Saul. King Saul starts out looking like he's going to be a pretty good king. He's tall. He's strong. He ends up being a pretty good military commander. But in spite of all of his strengths, particularly early on, Saul turns out to be a very bad king. Yes, he starts out strong, but over time you start to realize that Saul becomes very prideful, he becomes disobedient, and he starts to lose his grip with reality and becomes kind of crazy, to be honest. And with this pride and jealousy and disobedience and insanity, you start to see as he spirals, you see God punish him and say, hey, I am, I am not going to extend your family line. I am moving my blessing, my anointing as king to someone else. And you see God choose another king, a king that is not related to At least by blood, not related to Saul. And that's where we get the king that everyone has heard of when it comes to the Bible, and that is King David. Now, King David is everything that Saul is not when you first see him introduced. He is not this big, strong person that is immediately noticed because he towers over everyone else. Um, Instead, he is the youngest of a large amount of brothers. He kind of gets picked on a little bit by his brothers some. And he's not seen as being particularly special at first. But you see, over time, God uses and transforms David into this amazing example of God's power. Most of you have heard of the example of David and Goliath. Um, Others have heard of the full range of his kingship, not just David and Goliath, but him beating the Philistines and him time and time again showing just how good of a military commander he is. But if we look at David, what we see is the height of Israel's strength. We see Israel going from being a small nation that was being overcome by all of its enemies to under the kingship of David being a strong, mighty nation that is able to expand its territory and not have major competition. By the end of David's life. Most of the competition. Most of the fighting by the end of David's life. Is actually from within. His own children trying to take over his kingdom. So David really becomes in a sense the high point of Israel. You could maybe say the, there's a little bit of a high point beyond David. And that is his son solomon now solomon is one of many sons but through a series of civil wars and political maneuverings that we didn't get into Solomon is going to be the son that ultimately ends up succeeding david and solomon when he rules he builds the temple the temple, up to this point, there has not been a temple. There has been a tabernacle or a tent where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. But there has not been a temple. And what you see happen during Solomon's reign is that he finally builds a temple for God. And this brings the focus of all of Israel's worship now comes to one place Jerusalem, and now this focus on Jerusalem, this, and there's this idea that the presence of God, we, we see this in the Bible, this, uh, we see this in the Old Testament with the tabernacle, and then now we see that moved even more to the temple, the sense that the presence of God in a special way dwells upon the temple. In a special way, the presence of God Rests upon the temple. So when the people come to the temple, they're walking into the presence of God. Yes, God is present everywhere. He's above all creation. But in a unique way, heaven has met earth at the temple. And you see this really solidified during Solomon's reign. So in a lot of ways, David is the high water mark, maybe a little higher with Solomon who is able to build a little bit on what David did. Because David's reign was filled with war and infighting, where Solomon had a pretty stable reign. Now, towards the end of Solomon's reign, you start to see the same old issue that pops up over and over and over again with Israel. And that is towards the end of Solomon's reign, you start to see Solomon be led astray by false gods. What happens is Solomon starts to marry all of these different wives. He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, before you lose your mind about that, yes, it's a lot, but we need to understand to some extent a large portion of the marriages were probably political marriages. So, 700 wives also meant 700 political alliances. So, when we look at this, a lot of these wives were pagan. And what Solomon ends up doing, Solomon, the same guy who built the temple of God in Israel, starts to build and commission the building of these pagan temples for his wives. And you start to see Solomon drift back down the slippery slope of idolatry and paganism. And even though Solomon in a lot of ways was the high water mark, you start to see, here we go again. And it's back to what we saw with the judges, people beginning to give in to idolatry. So at the end of Solomon's life, God, out of respect to David, does not remove uh, Solomon as king like he did. Instead, we're going to see God is going to punish Solomon in a different way. And we will talk about that in the next podcast. We'll talk about how God punishes the son of Solomon. And the result is a total division of Israel and having two kingdoms. And we continue to see a spiraling out of control as Israel continues to break its covenant with God. Thanks for watching today. I want to ask you to please like, subscribe, follow, share with a friend, comment. These things help us to get the word out about the channel. So we really appreciate it.